Well, good morning, church. I hope you're doing well. Uh, This week marks two years of my being with you as a minister. Uh, and, And what a couple of years it's been. I mean, during my first year, you all surrounded Caitlin and I as we got married. Uh, And then you supported us so kindly uh, through my mother's sickness and her death. And then this past year, goodness gracious, we've all been weathering a global pandemic together, adjusting to different ways of worshiping and connecting to each other. I just have to say, I'm so grateful to be a part of this church community. I'm blessed by the relationships that have grown and are growing. And I've missed seeing you all face to face. I look forward to seeing some of you face to face soon. But for all of you, I think of and pray for you often. I often look through each of your names in the church directory. uh, and, And I love hearing from you, especially during this season. And so thank you. Thank you for your kindness. Uh, Thank you for your love. And thank you for being a small picture of God's kingdom here on earth. So after a couple years of of being together, uh, you probably know by now that, that I am a fan of Lord of the Rings. At the center of the story, right, you have Frodo and Sam journeying across the land toward Mount Doom to destroy the one ring, right? And if you've seen the movies or or read the books, then you know that multiple times along the way, Frodo becomes utterly exhausted and disheartened, fatigued and forlorn, ready to give up. But in each of those moments, Sam manages to keep perspective and offer words of hope-filled encouragement. Sam has a number of stirring speeches that help keep Frodo on his feet and moving toward their goal. One of the very best of these is from The Two Towers. It's the second book or movie. Uh, Sam and Frodo are closing in on Mount Doom, and everything around them is becoming increasingly bleak. Um, It's a little bit different between the movie and the book. I'm going to read you the exchange from the book. Hear these words. I don't like anything here at all, said Frodo. Step or stone, breath or bone, earth, air, and water all seem accursed. But so our path is laid. Yes, that's so, said Sam. And we shouldn't be here at all if we'd known more about it before we started but I suppose it's often that way. The brave things in the old tales and songs, Mr. Frodo, adventures, as I used to call them. I used to think that they were things the wonderful folk of the stories went out and looked for because they wanted them, because they were exciting and life was a bit dull, a kind of sport, as you might say. But that's not the way of it with the tales that really mattered or the ones that stay in the mind. Folks seem to have just landed in them, usually. Their paths were laid that way, as you put it. But I expect they had lots of chances, like us, of turning back, only they didn't. And if they had, we shouldn't know because they'd have been forgotten. 
we hear about those as just went on. And not all to a good end, mind you, at least not to what folk inside a story and not outside it call a good end. You know, coming home, finding things all right, though not quite the same, like old Mr. Bilbo. But those aren't always the best tales to hear, though they may be the best tales to get landed in. I wonder what sort of a tale we've fallen into. I love this reminder of the greatest stories, that they are, are never easy or comfortable or predictable. Great stories don't even always have what we would consider to be happy endings, but they're great because of the characters in them. A great story is not necessarily determined by what happens, but rather by who it's about. And that's why speeches like this from Sam are so stirring. Because they remind Frodo of what really matters. They remind us of what really matters, no matter what is to come. Now, my hope is that our time together today can be like one of these stirring reminders. I want to look around at our, our current landscape as a church and ask the same question that Sam did here. I wonder what sort of a tale we've fallen into. I am no Sam, so, so there's no way that I'll be able to give such a stirring speech. But, but Jesus is far better than Sam. So I want to look at a shocking and stirring speech that he gave to his disciples. So open up to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13 is where we're going and, and, and looking through today. You see, just as Sam gave the speech that, that we just read, as they neared Mount Doom, Jesus gives this speech that we're about to read as he nears the cross. Like Sam, Jesus warns of challenges that will come, and he reminds of, of who they are called to be in the midst of those challenges. But unlike Sam, Jesus knows exactly what sort of tale he's in, and he encourages his disciples with hope. So let's read Mark chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. And then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will this be? And what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? And then Jesus began to say to them, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he. And they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. 
This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for being with us during this time. I pray that as we consider the words of your scripture, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so I, I want to consider three things together this morning. First, we're going to dig into this passage that, that we've just read so that we can hear what Jesus is saying to his disciples. But then I want to consider our current context, right? Where we are and, and where we've been. And finally, I want to consider the days ahead and offer a few challenges for us. So first, let's dig into this text. All right, Mark chapter 13. This is one of those strange passages with vivid images and all kinds of different interpretations. After the verses that we just read, Jesus goes on to talk about persecutions and desolations and the Son of Man coming in clouds. Some say that this chapter is talking about end times while others say that it's really only about the destruction of Jerusalem that would happen about 40 years after Jesus said this. Now, I'm not going to be able to answer all of those questions today and, and talk about those different interpretations, but, but let's look at the verses that we've just read a bit more closely and, and try to see what it is that Jesus is saying to his disciples. So in verse 1, they are headed out of the temple, and one of Jesus' disciples says, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. He's just amazed at the architecture and the immensity of it all. And this makes total sense. I mean, remember, Jesus' disciples were from small fishing villages like Galilee. They're not used to the big city of Jerusalem. I grew up in the suburbs, but I remember occasionally going on family vacations to big cities, and I would just ogle at all of the skyscrapers around. But remember, this disciple is not just in awe of any big building. This is the temple, right? It's not only impressive to look at, it is central to their religious life. It's central to their faith. This is the place that represents the presence of God. It's the place where they would go for all of the special festivals and celebrations, which makes Jesus' response all the more shocking. Look at verse 2. Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. With this response, Jesus does two things. First, Jesus does affirm that these buildings are great, right? He's not trash-talking the temple or saying that it was all bad. He affirms that it was good. But then he goes on to say that though the temple was good, it's not permanent. The days of worshiping in the temple were good, but Jesus is saying that in the days ahead, Worship is going to look different. 
So he challenges his disciples to adjust their expectations and no longer place their hope in the way that things used to be. There is coming a day when none of these great big stones will be left. All will be thrown down. Well, this was surely stunning and disorienting for the disciples. I mean, I wonder if they walked in stunned silence all the way up the Mount of Olives. Whatever the case, by the time they get to the top of the Mount of Olives, they're still thinking about what Jesus had said. Look at verses 3 and 4. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when this will be, when will this be? And what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? You see, they're still thinking about what he had said earlier, and they want to know more. When is this going to happen? What do we look for? My guess is that they're asking because they either want to know when they should run for the hills or what to look for in order to prevent this catastrophe from happening, right? They want to either preserve their way of life or at least preserve their own lives. But you'll notice that as often happens, when Jesus responds, he doesn't answer their questions. He doesn't give them a date and a time or some scheme to uncover. He doesn't tell them how everything is going to happen. Rather, throughout the rest of the chapter, he gives them instructions for who they are to be when it happens. He doesn't tell them how things are going to happen. He tells them who to be when it happens. In verse 5, he tells them not to be led astray. In verse 7, he tells them not to be alarmed. In verse 13, he tells them to have endurance. In verse 23, he tells them to be alert. And at the very end of the chapter, in verse 37, he tells them to keep awake. This is who Jesus' followers are to be. In verses 6 to 8, Jesus identifies religious deception, political turmoil, and, national, and natural disaster. And he elaborates on these throughout the rest of the chapter. But amidst these challenges, God's people are not to be led astray or alarmed, but rather to stay awake and alert. In all of this instruction, Jesus is preparing his disciples so that when challenges come, they will not overly react, but faithfully respond. When challenges come, Jesus' followers should not immediately embrace everything that is happening or emphatically reject everything that's happening, but rather pay close attention and faithfully adapt to new, challenging, and changing situations. And I think this is what Jesus ultimately means at the end of verse 8 when he says, this is but the beginning of the birth pangs. Now, I certainly can't speak from experience, but as I understand it, birth pangs are challenging, difficult, and painful. Some of you do know from experience. And they require careful attention and steady breathing. And ultimately, they lead to new life. Right? The pain of childbirth leads to the wonder 
of a child's birth. This is the image that Jesus uses to describe the challenges that his people face. Out of pain and persecution will come something new. And we don't need to be alarmed as we face the unexpected. Remember that question that Sam asked? I wonder what sort of a tale we've fallen into. Well, Jesus knows what sort of tale he's in. He knows what sort of tale we're in. It's a story that ends with the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. That's where the story is headed. And Jesus tell his, tells his disciples in this moment that between this time and that day, the temple will fall. There will be false teachings, violent wars, and natural disasters. But that they should not be alarmed or led astray. Instead, they should endure, be alert, and stay awake as they faithfully adapt to new circumstances and watch new life emerge. So this is what this passage is all about, right? And I think we can hear what Jesus is saying to his disciples. He's preparing them for times of unexpected challenge and change. But now I want to take a look at our current context because we're facing our own challenges and changes. So Mark 13 opened as we just looked with the disciple pointing out these large stones and buildings of the temple complex, marveling at the worship and the identity of the people of Israel. And I wonder what those large stones might be for us, right? What are the things about worship and, and the identity of our church that you've been drawn to? Maybe it's the way that we gather together each week for worship and for fellowship. Maybe it's the sound of our voices raised in song together. Maybe it's the various missional activities that this church has participated in with Wildwood, with Reach Out. Whatever those large stones might be for us, for you, I think we would do well to listen to Jesus' response to the disciple. Yes, these stones are great. These buildings are great. But in the days ahead, not one stone will be left here upon another. Not one stone will be left here upon another. This is something we've already been experiencing, isn't it? Right over the past six months, we haven't been able to gather together, lift up our voices together, engage in these various missional activities as normal. Even as we look toward gathering in person again next week, our worship services are going to look different, right? We're going to be following various safety recommendations, social distancing, and so on, right? And as we head into the fall, our usual missional activities with Wildwood and Reach Out are pretty much all on hold, right? So in very many ways, each one of these stones has fallen, the ways that we have been used to worshiping, the things that we have been used to doing as a church have been upended. And so I think we're, we're entering a season very much like what Jesus is talking to his disciples about here. 
Now, you might be thinking all of this is, is maybe overblown and too dramatic, right? This time is temporary. After a little while longer, things will go back to normal. But I think that this pandemic that we've been dealing with for the past six months and will likely be dealing with for at least the next six months in some way or another is going to bring about some longer-term changes in our lives that are going to go even beyond that. Some longer-term changes in our lives, in our society, and, and, and probably in our church, if we're able to adapt. We don't know what they will be. We don't know what kind of changes are in store. But Jesus says for us to be alert and awake, paying attention to what's going on around us. And there's this paradigm that I read about uh, not too long ago that has really helped me during this season. And, and I want to share it with you, right? This is from an article that actually came out back toward the end of March, right? The end of March. So these guys were really on the cutting edge of what was going on, uh, as, as you'll hear. So they described the pandemic like this. They said, at first, it felt like a blizzard. The cases began spreading like a storm. Hospitals were overwhelmed. And so we did what people do in blizzards. We took shelter. So for a few months, everyone sheltered in place, put everything on hold. But as time stretched on, that just wasn't going to be sustainable. You can only shelter in place for so long. And so we began to realize that, oh, maybe this isn't just a blizzard. This is winter. Right? This isn't something that's going away after just a few days. This is a season that's going to stretch on for at least a few months. So the strategy needs to change. Right? In a blizzard, you need to take shelter. But through the winter, you need to survive, which means you're going to have to go out from time to time. You, know, you, you want to wear protective clothing. You want to watch out for storms. And, and this seems to be the stage that we're in right now with the pandemic. As we wear protective masks and when we go out and we keep watching and waiting for new developments. But this article went on to suggest that there's actually a third stage beyond winter. They suggest that as the days continue to stretch out and as society continues to shift and change and respond to the circumstances that we're in, we're going to find that we're not in a blizzard or even a winter, but a kind of ice age. And that calls for yet another strategy. Because in a blizzard, you need to take shelter. In the winter, you need to find ways to survive. But in an ice age, you need to adapt. Because an ice age is not just a quick storm or even a passing season. An ice age leaves the world a fundamentally different place, right? An ice age is the toppling of big stones. And again, we should not be alarmed, as Jesus has told us here, but we should be alert as we try to discern how do we faithfully adapt? How do we look for these emerging signs of new life, even amidst birth pangs? And here's the thing. As, as I've been thinking about all of this and, and the, the sort of ice age transforming, changing season that we're coming up upon, I think that God's been preparing us 
for these days. I want you to think about this past year. Here's this is sort of a little quiz to see if you've been paying attention. <laughs> if you remember, last fall, we went through the book of Jeremiah together. And we considered what it meant to be a people in exile. We wrestled with what it would look like to worship in exile. What are the things that we would need to grieve and say goodbye to in exile? And what it would look like to faithfully live in exile. And then this past spring, as we entered the season of Lent, we started going through the book of Numbers and considering what it means to wander in the wilderness. We talked about taking stock of ourselves, setting out with God, and discovering his unexpected blessings along the way. Now, when I planned these sermon series about exile and wilderness, I had no idea that we would be heading into a global pandemic. I had no idea that some kind of an ice age would be upon us. And yet here we are. As I've reflected on, on this, I'm convinced that God was preparing us for this time. You know, it's striking that we spent the past year dwelling in Jeremiah 29, reflecting on God's word to build houses and plant gardens. And then because of quarantine, Home Depot has had record-breaking sales this year, right? People have been working on their houses. People have been planting gardens, right? In some strange way, God's been preparing us for this time. We spent the last year reflecting on exile and wilderness. And here we are in our own wilderness exile called COVID-19. Just like Jesus was preparing his disciples for the fall of the temple that was to come, I think God was, has been and, and, and was preparing us for these times that we are in and the times that we are headed into. Now, I, I don't know what to expect in this season. I have no predictions or, or prophecies. I do know that in the coming months, one of the ways we're going to be adapting is by having a sort of hybrid way of doing church. Sunday worship will be both in person and online. There will be small groups meeting during the week, both in person and online. I'm not sure how all of this is going to go. I'm sure there's going to be some blips along the way, but I'm excited to see what takes shape. As far as missional activity, well, I know that the secret sowers are continuing to make and distribute masks for those who need them. I know that this next month, we have the opportunity to support the Mountain State's children's home, as we usually do in the fall. But I'm not really exactly sure what else it's going to look like for us to be missionally active. I don't know what things like Wildwood and, and Reach Out are going to look like for us, or what new things might begin to emerge. There is some familiarity ahead, but there's also a good bit of uncertainty. Things are different, but we are called to stay awake and be alert. So I want to offer three simple challenges for the days ahead. You're going to be familiar with them. 
These are my challenges to you. Keep crossing the street. Keep partnering for peace. Keep discovering the kingdom. I'll say a little about each one of these, all right? Keep on crossing the street, right? This value of ours acknowledges that, that we are not meant to live in isolation, right? Neither as individuals from one another or as the church from the world. We are not meant to live in isolation, but in contact with others. Crossing the street is about getting in contact with others. Now, that might look like crossing a literal street, but it might also look like a phone call, a Zoom meeting, an online live stream worship service, right? Whatever the case, you must keep crossing whatever street it is that's in front of you. Continue making contact with others. This church and the world needs your participation. So keep crossing the street. Also keep partnering for peace. All right, this value goes even deeper than the first one. Crossing the street means making contact. Partnering for peace means making commitment. Crossing the street is, is going wide, but partnering for peace is going deep. So as you cross the street and come into contact with others, I want to challenge you to not just leave it there. Go deeper. Get to know the hearts and souls and needs and stories of those you come into contact with. This is true of those beyond our church, but also those within our church community. Over the past years, we've certainly gotten to know some of the staff and students and, and families of Wildwood. But this is also something the men's group has been doing together over this past year as we've listened to each other's stories, learned from each other, prayed with each other. So actively participate in the world around you, but also deeply participate in it. Keep partnering for peace. And then finally, keep discovering the kingdom. This value goes even deeper still. Because not only is it coming into contact with others and going deep with others, but it is acknowledging that when you are with others, God is in your midst. When you are with others, God is in your midst. This is ultimately what it means to stay awake to be alert, right? It means for us to keep our eyes on the kingdom of God and to look for glimpses of it in our lives and relationships every day. God is active in the world. The kingdom is coming on earth. And so keep discovering the kingdom of God. Keep crossing the street. Keep partnering for peace. Keep discovering the kingdom of God. Though life feels uncertain and things are different, we can trust in Jesus' words. We know what sort of tale we've fallen into. Though temples topple and all manner of disasters occur, there is coming a day 
when we will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Though large stones fall, Christ is our unshakable foundation. Though our circumstances are always changing, Christ's love for you will never change. So as we go into these days ahead, remember that you are loved and remember that you are his. Amen.